right now, Lord, we want to focus our attention specifically on your word and on the events that happened 2,000 years ago. We want to look into what it is that you did on Palm Sunday and what that can do for our faith walk and journey with you today. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Luke 19, verses 29 through 44. As Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. You just try that next time you go to the store. Um, They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The end of our reading. The title of tonight's sermon is Defying Expectations. Um, I think when we think about Palm Sunday, we think about rejoicing, we think about Hosanna, praise, palm branches, um, fun and joy, but we probably don't remember that whole crying part. We probably forget the part where Jesus just is so overcome he has to stop and weep. So we're going to investigate a little bit of what might be behind that and look a little at our expectations of Jesus and how he tends to defy those. We have an issue, right? We have expectations versus reality. And this is in our entire world. We have an expectation, but then reality hits us. For example, our fast food expectation, right? Here's the expectation of these beautiful burgers on the side. Here's reality. And I don't know if you can see as they did this, it said the actual Whopper rotated to most attractive angle with cheese slightly fluffed up for picture. That's the slightly fluffed up version versus, you know, this is real. This is expectation. Here's the reel rotated to most attractive angle. Ew. Um, Here is, you know, our expectation, and this is what comes out in that package. Actual burger, slightly fluffed up for picture, right? That's what it says, by the way, underneath all my photos. Actual Danielle, slightly fluffed up for the photo. So... (laughs) We have our expectations versus reality. Shakespeare said expectation is the root of all heartache. And it's a fascinating type of little phrase there, right? That somehow when we expect something and it doesn't happen the way we want it, which would sort of be like all the time, um, we are sorely disappointed. For those of you Bible scholars, you thought, wow, Danielle is super into the text. She is so nitty-gritty on the details. We will absolutely have a donkey for Palm Sunday. 
And I will tell you, um, most of the donkeys I've ridden have been an experience a little bit more like this. So you're all glad we had a pony instead. So yes, you're right. The text does say donkey. We had pony rides today for the kids. It's okay, right? We're cool. We can explain to the kids. And I've ridden a donkey. Um, It was uncomfortable. Uh, I rode it, of course, as an adult, so my legs were near touching the ground, which is how adults, by the way, no one looks good riding a donkey, but particularly, you know, they're not huge animals. So you can imagine Jesus riding this donkey. It's not very regal, right? I mean, it's not the expectation you have for the king of the universe to be getting on this donkey that might be groaning, um, making interesting sort of Star Wars type sounds. Uh, the one time I rode a donkey, I thought I was going to die. Uh, and I'm not joking. I was like, why am I on this donkey? So we were taking a donkey ride up to um, this incredible monastery in Petra in Jordan and the people I were with they didn't want to hike it and so I was like okay I'll go with you and we'll ride the donkeys one donkey just took off with my friend screaming tell my mother I loved her right he's just shouting and he looks like George Costanza on a donkey as he's going like it's just the donkey rides the donkey knows where it's going so he just left Um, my other friend was on a donkey whose name was Michael Jackson um, because they, the Bedouin there thought that was funny. Um, and uh, it was a black donkey with a little patch of white on its nose, so they named it Michael Jackson. And then I forget my donkey's name, but the donkeys know where they're going, so they follow one another, and they are scraping us alongside of the cliff where there's a sheer rock face and then a sheer drop below, and there's these steps, and they're ancient. And I'm thinking... I need off the donkey, right? Right now, I need off this donkey. I don't want to ride this donkey anymore. So, um, pony. Uh, that's what we did, and, um, and uh, that's what we had today. But, you know, if anyone really wants a pony, that's your job next Palm Sunday. Find the, don- find the donkey if you want the donkey, and uh, you'll be in charge of that. And, um, and also, I'll put you in charge of finding palm branches, because I loved that as a kid, and we're going to find some florist who does that somewhere, right? we got to hook up, right? Catholic church somewhere. Um, we'll do that. Okay, so expectation, reality. The expectation is, ooh, I want this great biblical experience and I want to be on a donkey. Reality, unpleasant ride, slightly frightening. So ponies instead. Um, Here's some more expectation quotes that I found. Never get too attached to anyone because attachments lead to expectations and expectations lead to disappointment. Note the cute, like, ladybug. Like, isn't that, that's not a very cheery phrase, is it? It's really disappointing. This person who made this, they walk through life fairly sad, right? Their entire life, their expectation actually is to be terribly disappointed and hurt by anyone they're in relationship with. Um, We have this expectation and this reality, right? I mean, this is every New Year's resolution, right? My expectation is I'm going to be svelte and amazing and most great swimsuit body by June. Reality is I'm tired, work was long, kids are crazy, and I'm just going to lay down for a few minutes and, you know, who really cares? No one's taking a picture of me, reality, and then fluffed up, you know, so I'll just keep going. Um, Expecting is my favorite crime and disappointment is always my punishment. Whoa. And always hope but never expect. These things aren't too cheery, right? Um, This is how we kind of think about expectations. For me, I had this really weird expectation that the package I ordered from LA would make a one, maybe two-day journey up to my house in Northern California. But no, it traveled to Chicago for some God-unknown reason and hung out there and then went to to Iowa for a while and then finally made its way to my house a week later, right? So this is not, this is my expectation is that it's going to come in a re, you know, reasonable amount of time. And reality is, for some reason, this small package I purchased needs to traverse the United States. Um, and then we have people who, when they think about, you run into those persons, right? They're just so, let's say, 
spirit-filled, joy-filled, and or maybe in denial, that they say things like, I have no idea what's going to happen and I love it. And you sit there thinking, I must not love Jesus enough because that freaks me out and I want to know what's going to happen and I need it planned out. And my experiences have taught me that uh, reality can sometimes bite, like, right? There's a movie about that. So I would like to know what the plan is and I would like my expectations to be met. In fact, I would say one of the primary causes of dysfunction in marriage relationships and friendships um, in our relationship with Jesus is the fact that we have expectations and then those expectations aren't met. Anyone ever been in a relationship where you shared space with somebody, right? Hopefully all of you have shared space with somebody. I'm thinking particularly of like a kitchen or a hallway where, say, my expectation is that if you open a cupboard, you can also do this action and close the cupboard back. Whoa, Whoa, right? Open a drawer, this action, the muscles that do this pulling the drawer can also, oh, I don't know, push the door back in. Or I don't know, like, you know, closet doors, if they open, don't they also close? Particularly when you have, I don't know, a 12-month-old that's running around and getting into anything. But apparently that's an expectation that won't be met at my home with my dear husband who's in Mexico, so I can talk about him like this. So, um, and love him dearly. So my expectation of myself is that I open something, I close it. But that expectation of myself has actually caused a lot of challenge in my marriage because I always expect it of Kevin too, but that's not his expectation. His expectation is, hey, that was open because I needed stuff and I might need stuff there again. So I might just leave it open because, you know, why do the extra work, right? Like, I'm just going to leave that open. And, you know, right? Anyone? Anyone? Please, come on. Yes. All right. All of you who remember to close the doors, my team, raise your hand. Thank you. And those who never, ever can remember to close back door, raise your hand. You're on Kevin's team. All right. Okay, there we go. So Jesus loves you. We're praying for your souls. All right. So let's talk about Palm Sunday. Now, Palm Sunday, in our minds, the expectation is a little bit like this. That's a pretty nice expectation in our minds for Palm Sunday, right? It's beautiful. Someone remembered the tambourine. Someone brought a pipe, a little flute to, you know, blow. And they all grabbed palm branches and just were so loving. And Jesus is smiling like, this is awesome. And this donkey's great. Doesn't smell at all. And it's all great and wonderful and beautiful. And when we think of Palm Sunday and when we act out Palm Sunday in church, we do it in that same way. Smiles and joy and hosannas. So much to the point that we've even forgotten what the word hosanna actually means. We'll talk about that in a minute. Today in Jerusalem, pilgrims flew and traveled and traversed, pilgrimed, they did pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem. Here's Jerusalem here. And they joined this huge crowd and went down the Mount of Olives reenacting Palm Sunday. Now, some of us look at this and think, wow, that's incredible. I'd love to be there. Others of us who are crowd adverse, dear God, please never, ever, I never want to go there now. Look at this crowd. And the street is narrow and it's steep. And I walk it when it's not as crowded and I'm already like, yeah, okay, that's, that sounds worshipful. Um, so, but beautiful and amazing, incredible experience. Honestly, if you're there in this time, it's wonderful to watch. Pilgrims coming and remembering Palm Sunday. 
And there's a church on that road that remembers where Jesus wept and remembers what Jesus said. But tell me, does this crowd look like that's their primary focus? No, and it's not ours on Easter's on Palm Sunday either. I didn't make you all cry, hopefully, right? Instead, I brought you ponies. So we're having a celebration. And a lot of times as pilgrims walk down that Mount of Olives and as we picture that experience, we picture it a little like this, right? Glowing and beautiful and sparkly and without conflict. But in truth, there was quite a bit of conflict that was going on in Jesus's day, just like there is today. Now, as Jesus walked into Jerusalem, coming from Bethphage, he's coming down the Mount of Olives, he's walking into a community, into a society that has scripture-soaked minds. This is a phrasing from N.T. Wright, a wonderful New Testament scholar. Scripture-soaked minds. So as he's doing this, he's doing it on Lamb Selection Day as he's going in for the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover is remembering freedom from Egypt. He is there, and all of the people have this in their heads. And not just that event, but they have other events in their heads, other times when God has overthrown a terrible oppressor. And they're thinking about this during this time because presently in Jesus's day, they have a terrible oppressor. They have Rome. And they, as they pull out these palm branches and as they enter in Jerusalem, they are thinking to themselves, get Rome. Jesus, do this thing. Our expectation of you as we hail you as a king, our expectation of you as we pull out these palm branches is that you will cause a new exodus to happen. You will set us free and you will kick the oppressors out and you will set things to right. Now, on the other side of town, around this same time, here's the Temple Mount, here's the Mount of Olives, so Jesus is coming this way, we have this beautiful Antonio Fortress, a Roman fortress, so cleverly put right here to overlook into all of the Jewish festivities into the Temple Mount platform. And as Rome peers on in, they have Pilate coming in from where he normally resides at Caesarea by the Sea. And he's coming in also probably a lot like a king. Question, anyone in the room here think Pilate rode a donkey? No. So we've got a military commander on a horse, a person of war, and here comes another force entering into the city around the same time. We don't know that it's exactly the same moment, but we have an idea that in Jesus's day, Jesus is getting on not a horse, but a donkey, an animal of peace, not of war. And he's entering in as people start to grab branches, palm branches, and start to shout, not praise him, isn't he amazing, oh, we love him so much, but they start to shout, Hoshana, save, rescue, please. And here's what it says from Anchor Bible Dictionary. The provocative impact of help, save, rescue, accompanied by palm branch waving, can be appreciated by a reference to 2 Maccabees 10, 5 through 8, which tells us how the first Hanukkah celebrating hard-won but short-lived political and religious independence, this was about 150 years prior to the time of Jesus, a little more, um, and short-lived political and religious independence was actually a repeat performance of the crucial reign rights of Sukkot, given new political significance by coincidence with recent victory over foreign rule. So memories of this delivery from Jesus's day, just about 150 years prior, a little more, um, as he's entering 167 BC, um, memories of this delivery some two centuries early made the cries of Hoshana, help save please, a powerful appeal calculated to incite the oppressed and alarm 
harm the oppressors. So, expectation, Jesus, you're the new king. Expectation, kick out Rome, and we're going to incite all of the people who are impressed so that they gather around and expect you, Jesus, to go in with military force, with all of that, and to say, Rome's going to be gone and we're going to set things back to right. But instead, Jesus stops and he weeps. We don't know exactly what it is that causes Jesus to weep, but I would like to speculate that in part it is that he is aware that what they are asking for is not what he is going to bring. And in fact, their expectation of him is not a good expectation. And he's going to defy that expectation because what he can bring is better. So this expectation that he will militarily call down the angels— toss out Rome, this expectation that happens on this Palm Sunday is going to ride with him all week until Good Friday, when all expectations of him will be dashed by all who are following. And they will see him instead killed on the cross, crucified by Rome, and they'll still see him king because it will say so over his crucifix, king of the Jews. And all those expectations that we had for him, for what life would look like, are going to be dashed. And I think this applies to us today. Now, as Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you knew what would bring you peace. He's weeping for this destructive bent that they are on, his own people, what is going to happen to them. And he actually prophesies that in 70 AD, it doesn't say the date, but this is what happens in 70 AD, Rome will toss all the stones from the temple and not one will be left upon another. In fact, only the Western Wall or the Kotel, also known as the Kotel, is left of the Temple Mount platform today. And Rome tossed these giant, huge stones from on top of the temple wall down to the street below, crashing in. You can see how heavy they are. And Jesus sees this. He prophesies that this is what's going to happen. That as a result of the expectation of a human king that will come in with military force, that will fight with this type of power, that will make this happen, as a result of that cry, that expectation, Rome will respond with brute force and destruction. And this is what will happen. And he knows it. So in the midst of all of that, let's ask a few questions. Who is this king? Who is this king Jesus? What is he like? And which king do I want to follow? As we see the one we want right? The one on the horse, the military might coming on in. All right, so we're like, all right, Jesus picked a donkey, but we'll, we'll let that one go. Let's still pick up our palm branches. Let's still shout. What do we do, though, when we say, okay, Jesus is my king. He's my Lord. I want to follow him, but my expectations of him aren't being met. Because I think we've sold ourselves a little bit of a fun uh, you know, after midnight for only nineteen ninety five, you too, all satisfaction guaranteed. If you choose Jesus, you can have all things go the way you want them to go. 
And we have good Bible verses that we use, perhaps out of context, in order to back this up, right? Like, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Matthew 7, 7. You know, whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you believe. Matthew 21. These are Bible verses. These are things Jesus said. So we grab those. Out of context often, without all of the context of real life, without the context of even what Palm Sunday was like, that Jesus' own followers asked for things and didn't get them. His own followers cried out and celebrated him in a particular way and didn't get that thing that they wanted. But somehow we ignore all of history. We ignore all of our normal life. And instead we're like, let's just hold on to these two verses. And so when we're talking to somebody who's grieving, who's struggling, for whom Jesus has not met the expectation of the prayer, we like to throw these out and we'll say, hey, you know what? Just ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. And hey, by the way, um, if you believe it, oh, you know what? It hasn't happened for you yet. It's because you haven't believed it hard enough. And then you're sitting there thinking into your mind, like, how do I believe harder? How's that a thing? Okay, I'll just screw up my face more when I pray. Maybe if I'm like, not just on my knees, but I'm also like lying flat. Or then we'll say, well, I'll just start proclaiming it to everybody I meet because then that'll show that I really believe it's going to happen. But oftentimes, that actually puts Jesus a little bit more like Santa or a genie. And instead, it places him with, I'm just going to submit my request. Jesus, here you go. Go. Go, Jesus, go. I prayed. I said it the right way. My expectation of you is clear. I can point it out in all of my Bible verses. I'm going to lay it out in front of you, Jesus. Here we go. Oh, okay, so I have to three wishes? All right, I get three wishes. Okay, no problem. And so we work through all of those things because we kind of start to use our Bible verses a little bit like we're in charge of Jesus. As though he's not the king. And as though he's not in charge. There's one gentleman that comes to mind when I think about a God who doesn't meet our expectations, but somehow defies them, and somehow that's all the more better. And his name is Richard Wombrunt, and he's part of Founded Voice of the Martyrs Ministry before he passed away. He was um, imprisoned, arrested in prison, and tortured for his fellowship, his faith in Christ, um, in communist Romania. And while he was in that prison being psychologically tortured, told his family had forgotten about him, that his wife and children had been moved on, um, had his, the bottoms of his feet um, beaten with electrical cords while he hung upside down. People would constantly ask him, why don't you just renounce Jesus? Why don't you just at least be part of the state of the church, you know, the church, the state's church? Why do you just, why do you keep doing this? Why do you insist? And from his prison cell, he wrote Jesus this letter. And it's a little long, but let me just read it, and you can read it together. From childhood, I frequented temples and churches. In them, God was glorified. Different priests sang and sensed with zeal. They claimed it right to love you. But as I grew, I saw such deep sorrow in the world of this God that I said to myself, he has a heart of stone. Otherwise, he would ease the difficulties of the way for us. Sick children struggle with fever in hospitals. Sad parents pray for them. Heaven is deaf. The ones we love go to the valley of death, even when our prayers are long. Innocent men are burned alive in furnaces, and heaven is silent. It lets things be. Can God wonder if, even in undertones, even the believers begin to doubt? Hungry, tortured, persecuted in their own land, they have no answers to these questions. 
The Almighty is disgraced by the horrors that befall us. How can I love the creator of microbes and of tigers that tear men? How can I love him who tortures all of his servants because one ate from a tree? Sadder than Job, I have neither wife, child, nor comforters. And in this prison, there's neither son nor heir. And the regime is hard to endure. From my bed of planks, they will make my coffin. Stretched upon it, I try to find why my thoughts run to you. Why my writings all turn towards you. Why is this passionate love in my soul? Why does my song go only to you? I know I am rejected. Soon I will putrefy in a tomb. The bride of Song of Songs did not love when she asked if you are rightly loved. Love is its own justification. Love is not for the wise. Though a thousand ordeals, she will not cease to love. Though the fire burns and the wolves drown her, the waves drown her, she will kiss the hand that hurts. If she finds no answer to her questions, she's confident and waits. And one day the sun will shine in hidden places and all will be made plain. The woman gave perfume and shed tears before you said your forgiving word. And had you not said it, still she would have sat. And wept for the love she has toward you, even being in sin. She loved you before your blood was shed. She loved you before you forgave. Neither do I ask if it's right to give you love. I do not love in hope of salvation. I would love you in everlasting misfortune. I would love you even in consuming fire. If you had refused to descend to men, you would have been my distant dream. If you had refused to sow your word, I would love you without hearing it. If you had hesitated and fled from the crucifixion and I had not been saved, still I would love you. And even if I found sin in you, I would cover it with my love. Now I will dare to say mad words so that all may know how much I love. Now I will touch untouched strings and magnify you with a new music. If the prophets had preached another, I would leave them, not you. Let them produce a thousand proofs. I will keep my love for you. If I divined that you were a deceiver, I would pray for you weeping. And though I would not follow you in falsehood, it would not lessen my love. For Saul, Samuel passed a life in weeping and severe fasting. So my love would resist even if I knew you lost. If you, not Satan, had risen wrongly in revolt against heaven and lost the loveliness of wings and fallen like an archangel from high, hopeless, I would hope that the Father would forgive you and that one day you would walk with him again in the gold streets of heaven. If you were a myth, I would leave reality and live with you in a dream. If they proved you did not exist, you would receive life from my love. My love is mad, without motive, as your love is too. Lord Jesus, find some happiness here, for more I cannot give you. From a prison cell, beaten, without any hope of rescue, he writes this. And this is what it looks like. And it's madness, right? I mean, you hear the theological problems. You hear all the challenge in it. But isn't it amazing that a man that's being tortured for his belief in Jesus, and wouldn't you have an expectation that if I'm actually being tortured and persecuted for my faith in Jesus, that Jesus might, I don't know, get me out or help me in some way, protect me in some way, prevent all of this in some way. But instead, even though Jesus is not meeting his expectations, Richard Wombrand instead says, I will still love you. 
because he's ultimately not loving Jesus for what Jesus is doing for him. He's loving Jesus because of who he is. Apart from the expectation, apart from the delivery, Jesus is his king, no matter what the story is. And when we find that we are following Jesus and he is defying our expectation, that he's not the king we thought he would be, he's not coming in with military force, and we're disappointed. That in this beautiful week prior to Good Friday, we live in this wonderful myth, this wonderful dream that all of a sudden Rome will be kicked out, that all of a sudden everything will be made to right, that the debts will be washed away from the temple, that Jesus will be the right king, that finally Israel will be ours again, and then our, our amazing expectations will come crashing down when he's arrested and doesn't fight. He doesn't fight back. He goes. He could have fled in two seconds. He could have been right over the hill off the Mount of Olives, out into the desert, and hidden there forever and ever. He doesn't. He goes willingly. And our expectations in him are dashed. But isn't that the best news ever? Because it turns out he is the real king. And it turns out his way is better than the way we had hoped. It's more enduring, more lasting than an earthly kingdom. It is a kingdom not of this world. And it's a kingdom that sets us up for life forever, not just right now. I have this wonderful quote from an adolescent, prof- um, adolescent psych professor in college. And it's pithy, but it's been helpful. She says this, Expectations are an umbrella that prevent God's blessings from raining down on us. And I think that applies to this Palm Sunday experience. That our expectations of Jesus becoming this type of earthly king that comes with power and military might that'll set us all free the way we want, if we had actually held on to only that, we would have lost the true blessing of being in a kingdom right now, today, that we all can live in right now, glimpses of it, admittedly. But right here, right now, today, we can start to build his kingdom here on earth, and we wouldn't have been able to do that if it had been the kingdom of our dreams. But because it's the one he knows we need, he defies our expectations, and it's so good that he does. Now, what if that's just not comforting? He'll take us as we are. After he's risen from the dead, Matthew 28 says this. He's risen from the dead. He's gone to Galilee. The disciples are there, and it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And he still gives them the great commission. All right, go. Be about the work of the kingdom. Go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize him. Go. You, you the one doubting? Go. You, you guys, oh, that's nice. You're worshiping and you're doubting. Fantastic. Go. Defy expectations. Go anyway and start to see the kingdom that can be built. And amen that we have a Jesus that defies our expectations and that does much more than the prayers that we know to utter. He starts to answer the prayers we don't even know to ask for. Ultimately, our trust is found in the fact that he's good. 
and that we have a community around us that when we are feeling lost and when we are feeling unloved and when we are feeling unheard and when we are feeling in need of rescue, all of us here together look around. This is not a um, spectator sport. This is church, and we come and we are the family, the kingdom of God for one another and with one another. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love the opportunity of praising you and shouting Hosanna, but we also love the opportunity of having you defy our expectations. That as we pray, Lord, save us now, we think we're asking for one thing, and you save us even more than we could ever ask or imagine. Forever and eternally, save from the very sins that beset us. Save from the prisons that we all walk around in. You, Jesus, set us free to be with you, our King and our Lord. This week, as we walk through Holy Week, and as we remember the events of 2,000 years ago, help us to embrace the fact that you defy our expectations. Help us to open up our box and start to see you bigger and more glorious than we could ever have imagined. Be with us, Lord, as we follow and walk with you. And forgive us as we all will doubt. We will all also seek to worship. Amen.